It's time for Fighting for the Faith. It's Friday, too, and I seem to have lost my voice a little bit. Had to crack skulls today on the pirate ship. Whip the slaves down in the hull into order to get them to row quicker. Yes, sir! <laughs> Actually, that's not true, but... All right. Boy, I gotta tell you, I have apparently sparked an internet con- controversy. There are sides drawn. There are swords rattling. There are cannon shots being fired. And what is the big controversy about? That really dumb postcard that I made. <laughs> I can't wait to share with you uh, the, the little bits and pieces of the controversy and, the, uh, and where I stand and what my position is regarding it at the moment. Now, you know, if you re- remember back a few days ago, I was talking, you know, about how it, it's really time for faithful pastors to consider reaching out to the disenfranchised people who are literally leaving churches in droves. Literally leaving churches in droves as a result of the fact that their the services are dumbed down that you know they're being treated like newbies even if they've been in the faith for years and you know who am i placing the blame for here the purpose driven movement the seeker sensitive movement and this this really non-biblical concept of attractional evangelism where you change a church service into a big entertainment hoopla to draw a crowd you give goats life principles and the relevant stuff that they want because you go out and you conduct a survey and find out what the unchurched people in your community want and then you give it to them. And that's called church. So uh, in response to the Julia Dewan book the, uh, in, the, in the sound bites that we played from her from a couple of days, I suggested that uh, faithful pastors should consider reaching out, marketing to the people who feel like they're starving to death in their churches and I said, you know, for example, you, you know, maybe take a picture of a, you know, of one of the victims from Andersonville. Uh, that's the uh, Confederate concentration camp or POW camp. And uh, just so you all know, the Roseboro clan uh, had lost some of their sons in Andersonville. You know, the, uh, my family was directly impacted by Andersonville. And in fact, the Roseboro family during the Civil War, they uh, they were in Memphis, they were in Tennessee and Kentucky. And the Rosebros, uh, actually, part of the Rosebros fought for the Confederacy, and fought of them, some of them fought for the Union. And uh, at least one, maybe two of the Union soldiers uh, that the Rosebro clan produced uh, died at Andersonville under the terrible conditions that were there, the inhum- in- inhumane conditions that were there. So don't tell me about, you know, I'm being insensitive to people who, you know, the, the Rosebro family has paid with its blood. Regarding Andersonville, this is not something that didn't touch us. This is something that touched us directly. So, um, anyway, the point was is that you know I said we should consider taking a photograph of one of the Andersonville victims and put a postcard together that basically says, "Does your pastor refuse to to uh, feed you?" And uh, after putting it together the other day, I said, "You know, God, you know that it really doesn't have any tact," and that I thought that it was a little bit over the top. And you know, I said that on the program. And, um, but I had posted it on fighting for the faith and then another blogger or two actually picked it up and it created a, this a firestorm of controversy. And after watching what people were saying regarding it, you know, I realized, you know what, I need to really think hard and long about this. Should I take this off the internet or should I leave it there? You know, cause it's definitely offending some people. Should I take it down or should I leave it there? And if I were to take it down, what would be the reason for taking it down? And if I left it there, what would be my reason for leaving leaving it there? I had to actually, you know, make a decision. And so I want to walk you through that uh, that decision a little bit today and some of the controversy about that. We're going to do some listener email here first, though, because um, I have an apology I need to make for the um, the entire town of Eau Claire. Yeah, the, I heard the other day, um, yeah, you know, Kyle wrote me. 
and I couldn't pronounce the name of his town. I was Eclair. I, I thought it was Eclair. Now, um, apparently I was severely mispronouncing this. It isn't Eclair. They're not the, the, the cream puff capital of the United States. And so I would like to apologize to the entire town of Eau Claire and let them know that, you know, I think it's in Wisconsin. You know, Claire, you know, I better check the email because, see, that, that's the other thing is I got Poughkeepsie wrong. Poughkeepsie's not in Wisconsin. Poughkeepsie's in New York. But Waukesha and stuff, you know, you know apparently I've failed, you know, the <laughs> basic, geography. basic geography. I don't know where Poughkeepsie is. I don't know how to pronounce Eau Claire. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Roseboro is just, you know, causing controversy left and right. And I think it's just by my very existence at this point. Me breathing is probably causing problems. Uh, yeah, it's Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So I apologize to the entire town or city or or village. I don't know what the size of Eau Claire is, but whatever your size is, Eau Claire, I apologize. My French is really bad. You know, and so I didn't mean to call you a uh, a, a chocolate cream puff. I m- mistakenly thought that you were an eclair when it's Eau Claire. And uh, deepest apologies. You know, and so from now on, moving forward, Kyle and all of the town of Eau Claire, you can you can have your village or city or town pride back, knowing that you know y- your your name is safe with Roseboro. He will forever from now on pronounce it Eau Claire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really funny though. You know, I've never taken French, and I and I'm terrible at pronouncing French names. I mean, it. I don't understand the basics of pronunciation when it comes to French. In fact, it reminds me of a faux pas I committed back when I was working in the corporate world. And uh, the the faux pas that I committed it, it has to do with French roast coffee and really nice coffee creamers. And what happened, you know, in, in, in this company that I was working for, they had the habit of whenever somebody would do something that somebody liked or would get a kudo, what what they would do is they would send an email to the entire e- – there was like an email group for the whole corporation. So if you said, hey, so-and-so did a really good job, you just select that email group and it goes to everybody in the company. Well, one of the gals at the company had uh, had bought these really, really high-quality coffee creamers. They, they were like, you know, Italian you know, syrups and stuff like that. And it was really, really tasty stuff. And so what I did is I was so excited about these, you know, these coffee creamers and coffee flavors that they had put together that I had sent out an email to the entire entire company thanking this person for those things. And what I had said was, is that, you know, thank you really much. These are really great. They put the wee wee in my coffee, in my French roast. (sighs) Wee wee is like you know French for you know yes. What are you thinking? Uh, I got called into HR for that one, you know. <laughs> and apparently deservedly so. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I spe- I even spelled it right. I spent it. I I looked it up on Google to make sure I was spelling it right. But when people had read it out loud, you know, I, it basically sounded like I was putting wee wee in the in in the coffee, and and it was misconstrued. <laughs> yeah, so. Again, another one of the dumb stories from how my life goes. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, Kyle, I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, now that the, I've officially apologized to the entire town of Eau Claire that puts the wee-wee in my French roast. Okay, I'm kidding. Okay. All right. So <laughs> all right. Uh, Russell, he's a worshipful master from Cleveland. Okay. That's his title. This is what he has in his title here. And uh, he, he writes, uh, Chris, I really liked your show on the Green Bible, but I don't understand why you have a problem with it. In, in this is, he, he says, warning, sarcasm aplenty. So be the, he's saying this tongue in cheek. He says, isn't this just a great way to show the world how Jesus fits into the worship of our Mother Earth? <laughs> yeah. Now that we have a Green Bible, maybe we should come up with some others. We should have a pink letter Bible that highlights the passages that empower women. That's a good idea. Or since there's already a green Bible, we can have a dollar sign Bible that uses dollar signs every time a passage appears related to improving your finances, which we all know is what the Bible is really about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Russell, you obviously know your scriptures. He's so <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, he says uh, another good edition might be the Shack edition, the Shack edition of the Bible, which challenges all reference, uh, changes all references to the persons of the Trinity into their Shack names. You know, so whenever you know, it, it, rather than saying "Our Father who art in heaven," it says "Our Papa who art in heaven." Aunt Jemima be thy name. Well, actually, it's Aunt Jemima. <laughs> it's it, Shaquille O'Neal would fit if if the, the the God the Father in the Shack was actually a guy. He's not, or she's not. It, it. All right, and so and, and so the shack name could also include recipes for uh, foods like greens. You got to be careful of those. According to the shack, if you eat particular greens too much, it might give you the trots. Yeah, but uh, seriously, uh, Russell writes. It says I I have my own very special Bible at home. It's called the Black Letter Edition. And all of the most important passages in that Bible are written in black letters. In fact, I haven't found a passage yet that is not in black letters, so I guess I'll have to keep reading. That is brilliant. Just absolutely. Our kudos go out to you, Russell. That was a very well written, great email. That goes into our email hall of fame. So... (laughs) Also, Russell writes in a second, a second email, and this is something I'm going to address because I've received several emails to this effect asking me for this, and so I'm going to acquiesce. Next week, we're going to do this. He says, Chris, I've been listening to your show for many weeks now, and I really enjoy your work. I really like your sermon reviews picking apart some of the ridiculous theology. On the subject, though, I would like to make a request. Would you be willing to critique a good sermon? So that we can see the other side. Don't misunderstand. I know what the gospel is, but I'd like to see what you think in every in every day as a, not a crusade sermon is. Thanks. So, Russell, I've received several emails to this effect, and you know what? I'm going to do this next week. We're actually going to do a sermon review where we'll pick it apart. We're going to pick apart a good sermon, Yay. you know, and you know, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of deconstruct it so you can. You know, see how a good sermon works. Really, really important stuff. Uh, yeah, we won't be using anything from D'Onofrio. Swirla, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a potential. You know, I've got a few really good you know pastors that we can draw on here. But uh, maybe to be fair, I probably should pick out a Hodel sermon or a um, a Rody sermon because that's my, those are my pastors. So, and I have, you know, the funny thing is that, you know, we can just, just use about any uh, sermon that's preached on a Sunday, but um, there's one in particular that really stood out in my mind, and um, I, I'm going to see if we have it in our archives, and, and we, we might bring that up next week. So, uh, y'all who've been asking me to uh, review a good sermon so that we can kind of, you can kind of see what it is that I, you know, what I consider to be a great sermon, uh, and and maybe that's the point. Maybe I should just pick a good one rather than a great one, because... Uh, from day to day, Sunday to Sunday, you know, I'm going to just put this out there and say it's really rare to have find a gifted pastor. Many people ha- in small churches in particular, they have pastors that are just faithful and they're good, but they're not great. OK, I, and so, you know, the excellence has to come when it comes not to necessarily to delivery, but to content. And so I would rather have a pastor who who is faithful in delivering the content on a day-to-day, on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis than one who is, you know, super gifted and a great orator who has to rely on on circus tricks to, uh, you know, to make things happen. Of course, I wouldn't be going to a circus church anymore. I'm done with that. All right, with that in mind, um, I'd like to open up the discussion today here about the uh, the starvation postcard that I put together and if you want, if you're not familiar with the controversy and you want to know what what all the controversy is about, you can see uh, copies of the uh, the postcard at fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, the postcard itself is shocking. It's difficult to look at. It's ugly. It's over the top. I've already admitted that it's over the top. But after really looking at the controversy, I had to make a decision. And I want you to know that I received emails from a lot of people all over the place, and some people that I truly respect their opinions. Uh, one person in particular who I really, really respect her opinion wrote me an email challenging me on this, and um, and you know gave me her reasons as to why she thought that that, that postcard was inappropriate. And um, so it's you know this is not one of those things you know I, I I've a I've apparently you know like the wee wee coffee uh, email. 
<laughs> have really tipped, you know, started a a fire, so to speak. But I want to say this, okay, and that is is that I, it was never my intention to be shocking just to be shocking. I don't believe that you use shock just to be shocking, okay? I'm not a shock blogger, or and I'm not a, a shock radio guy, although some of the stuff I say is pretty darn blunt, okay? I don't use shock and awe just to, you know, to draw attention to myself. If that were the case, I'd go into my, go downstairs, go into the parking lot and light myself on fire, you know? You know that's shocking, but, you know, I don't believe in that. Instead, I really do believe that we have a problem in the church, okay? And the reason I've come to this conclusion is not because I've heard isolated incidences about a, a pastor here or there who is literally, you know, stuck his you know nose out at people and said, you know, I'm not going to feed you sheep. You're, you're, you know, that's not what my job is. But the problem is, is that I've seen far too many pastors. I've listened to too many sermons, you know, for the show, just so you understand the show prep that goes invo- that involved in this is that, um, you know, I do an hour a day, but literally as far as researching time on the Internet, listening to sermons, you know, deciding what it is that is the content that I want to focus on. And uh, and the reason you know, and just so you know, the reason I, I pick on the things that I do is, is that I'm using uh, these bad sermons as a foil for talking about and discussing the things that uh, scripture commands us to do and to use it as a foil for for good doctrine you know that's uh you know so you understand that it's for me i'm not pointing out the bad things to sit there and say oh wow that's just bad and just go oh that's terrible and so we can all sit down and have a pity party instead the purpose of this is really to to challenge the things that are going on right now in the name of Christianity, to challenge the status quo and ask the tough question, is this what the scriptures teach and command and ask us to do? Or are we off the rails? Are we doing something wrong? Does the church need to repent? And I'll say this, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I've I've repented many times in my life, a couple of times, uh, majorly publicly, um, for things that I have done wrong. Or things that I have thought or taught that were wrong. So I have no problem whatsoever. If somebody can give me a compelling argument that shows that what I have done is wrong, I have no problem in saying, you know what? I was wrong. For instance, I was wrong in calling E. Claire a... It was Eau Claire. I was wrong in calling Eau Claire E. Claire. <laughs> anyway. So the the uh, the postcard itself has two sides to it. The front side has a picture of a guy from Andersonville, and it asks the question: Does your pastor refuse to feed you God's word? And believe me when I tell you, I, I have played them on this program. There are pastors around the country, around the world. And, and now and around the world, that that absolutely believe that if you want to come to church and you come to church with the expectation that you're going to be fed the word of God by them, you are selfish. You are selfish and that if you, you, you are absolutely grossly mistaken, if you think that's the purpose of church, that's what's happening. You come to church with the expectation that you're going to be fed God's word. You're just selfish and you don't care about the unchurched because the unchurched don't want to hear about you and your Bible. They don't want to be taught Bible stories. They want practical life principles that they can apply to make their life better. And we're going to give them what they want because otherwise they wouldn't come to church. I'm not making this argument up. I've played furtive quotes to this effect. After uh, Willow Creek had their big reveal now survey done at their church, they realized that it was, the, it was the most mature people in their church who were the most dissatisfied with the church and felt like they weren't being fed. What did Bill Heibel say? Well, Heibel said, I'll feed them, feed them theology till scripture till it comes out of their ears. He said that the solution is to make them self-feeders. That is not what the Bible teaches. So we've got a problem. When we have pastors out there who are not fulfilling their biblical duty and they're refusing to feed their congregations God's word in in the name of evangelism, they are absolutely in rebellion to what God has commanded. Absolutely in rebellion. Purpose of church, of a church meeting, is for God's people, those who are called out, the ecclesia, to feed on God's word and the sacraments. 
to dedicate themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. That's what church is for. It is not for entertaining goats. It is not for giving goats what they want. And I absolutely do not see anywhere in Scripture whatsoever anything that would justify a pastor saying that you, Christian, if you come to church with the expectation that you're going to be fed, that you are being selfish. This is Rick Warren's position. It is in the Purpose Driven Church book. I can actually quote it. Maybe I should bring it next week and quote the passage where he says that. It's in Bill Hybels' position. It's the position of Granger Community Church. And it's wrong. It's unbiblical and it's wrong. So, anyway, the postcard continues. says, are you famished because your pastor barely teaches from God's word, if at all? I think of theologians for your noggins. Or how about the man boob sermon? That was a great one. (laughs) If you're starving to hear and learn God's word and the comforting message of the gospel, then come to XYZ Church. Our pastors, unlike those relevant feel-good pastors, actually obey Christ's command to feed a sheep. Come and taste what you've been missing. Well, I posted that up on the internet, and um, there are blogs around that that, uh, just jumped on this. And, um, you know, just took me to task. I mean, it was all kinds of fun having my, you know, watching myself being pilloried, beaten up, called all kinds of names. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Sticks and stones. Um, uh, let's see if I can find this one because it was, oh, so fun. And I have to actually edit it because I, you know, even though we're not regulated by the FCC and technically I could cuss, online it, it it may not be a smart it may not be a smart move because then I'd, people would accuse me of trying to be relevant like mark driscoll <laughs> and you know what's funny is is that um there's there's a whole there's a whole debate about mark driscoll out there you know is 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 he just too edgy he is he too you know is he's too in your face and you know what's funny is is that i know for a fact you know because i've heard driscoll listen to driscoll Driscoll's a you know is a Calvinist. He's a reformed guy. He repented of his emergent uh, heresies, you know, and you know, and the things that he did wrong when he was in the emergent church. And uh, if you go to his church, you're going to get huge amounts of scripture. I mean, he really walks through stuff. And uh, but the the other thing that comes along with it is is you get uh, you, you get his edgy kind of thing that he's doing and you know and he's become known as the cussing pastor although i don't know if he really cusses all that much but he says things pretty bluntly too and uh boy i'm gonna let some people down here i i just it what driscoll does doesn't really get me bent out of shape Uh, you know maybe it's just because i'm a lutheran (laughs) (laughs) um yeah yeah so you know let me see if i can find this comment here um, you know, like this, uh, oh, here we go. Find Macho. There it is. Okay, here it goes. <clears throat> One of these guys writes, he says, as for people starving for God's word, that's baloney. Some guy took issue with me and said that it's baloney that people are starving for God's word. He says, there are more copies of the scripture available to Americans uh, and there are a high, there's a higher level of literacy achieved. There are more sermons available online than at any time in history of the world, and a lot are bad and a lot are good. So you know, you know, in reading this guy, so, so okay, if you can't find a church in your area, by the way, I've received emails from people around the country as a result of this controversy, basically telling me there isn't a good church in my area. They've all gone purpose driven or seeker sensitive. And the closest good church to go to is three or four hours away, and that's just not feasible. I cannot count how many emails I've received over the years to that effect. And so if, if, if you're selfish enough to expect your pastor to feed you on a Sunday, you're, you're, you're just wrong. Because you can go on the internet and get sermons. Don't expect to get it at church. That's this guy's attitude. Okay? He says... But I forgot. We must ignore all of that so we can fit reality into our ethnocentric view of eschatology. Have no idea what an ethnocentric view of eschatology has anything to do with that postcard that I made. Was I talking about the end of the world? Uh, no. 
in an ethnocentric kind of way? Oh, oh, it was polysyllabic words to make them sound smarter? Oh, that's a really bad interpretation. Might be true, though. And he says, I'm sick. I'm grieved. I'm utterly disgusted by this filth spewing forth from those who think anyone who does not do it their way must be denying the authoritative scriptures. This is not bravery. This is not boldness. This is not this is certainly not reflecting the love of Christ. This is not being an ambassador. It's just macho BS. That's what it is. So apparently uh, my my postcard doesn't reflect the love of Christ. And it's just macho bovine scatology. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to hose you with testosterone. Give me a break. Yeah. Welcome to the Church of Rex Quando. <laughs> oh, man. So, anyway, you know, it, that, that's just a sample of, you know, some of the controversy here. But there's, the, the, and there's two sides to the story. Um, You know, I, I've got one person who actually wrote me, um, who said, it's a shocking picture to be sure, but before leaving our former church with its, quote, pastor who majored in legalism, made palatable by funny stories and jokes rather than a faithful proclamation of the word of God, I commented several of the, uh, several times that if the people of this congregation could be seen in the spirit, they would appear to be like the walking skeletons of Nazi death camps. Your postcard confirms this in no uncertain terms. Thank you. My name is Sue, and I'm now feasting on the Word of God in a church where expository preaching is a priority, and it's a blessing. So on the one hand, I've got people who are mad at me, you know, basically accusing me of some kind of machismo thing, because anybody who can take a look at me knows that the last thing I have is machismo. (laughs) I'm a fat white nerd. (laughs) Good night. Machismo. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Huh? I'm not even Italian. How can I have machismo? That's a great point, John. Yeah. Yeah, man, machismo. Anyway, so you know, I I took a look at the controversy and read you know all of these people commenting and arguing and debating about this dumb postcard, and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to make a decision because truly I've upset some people. I have upset and made them mad, and I've offended them. Okay. All right, so I've got to make a decision. Did is what I did really truly a sin? Did I offend somebody needlessly? Am I am I fighting the wrong battle? You know, should I just be leaving these 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 seeker sensitive purpose driven guys alone? You know, I mean, they have orthodox doctrinal statements on their websites, so they're obviously not cultists. And see, that's the point. Just because somebody has an orthodox doctrinal statement, you know, hanging on their website and collecting dust, doesn't mean a hill of beans to me. If they're not actually preaching sound doctrine, the sound doctrine that's on their website, then they're doing nobody any favors. You can't point to a token, you know, doctrinal statement and say, hey, that's our doctrinal statement. I'm, I'm orthodox. If you're not passing on the faith once for all delivered for the saints in all of its fullness and all of its doctrine through the word of God. I don't care how orthodox your doctrinal statement is. You're focusing on the wrong thing and you're sending people to hell. So I made a decision. I was either going to have to abandon the postcard or I was going to have to stand behind it. And if I, and I would have to come up with a principle for doing it either way. So um, I made my decision and uh, just because I'm into drama, and the, uh, I, the only reason I do things apparently is because I'm trying to draw attention to myself and grow my audience. That, that's how I do things. Um, so I'm going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to tell you. If you haven't read it on my website, then you have to wait till after the break. So it's going to be like one of those American Idol moments, you know. And the winner is, we'll tell you right after the break.
So uh, stay tuned because um, we're going to be talking about um, you know where did I did I decide to defend my uh, my postcard or not? If you'd like to email me, let me know what a machismo idiot I am. You can do so. I'm used to it now. Um, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, and we'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh. sacked the choir, and put um, in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh... Expects. Uh, expects, no... Nobody expects the, um, purpose-driven... Inquisition? Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven Inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do... Chief ex- weapons are... Our chief weapons are, um... Purpose. Uh, uh vision Okay, and- okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick... Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! back that's right one hour of nothing but hate filled hate mongering from a machismo Mr. Rosebro that's all this show is if you came here expecting the love of Jesus in a girly sissified way where I'm going to sit down and give you a lovey hug and we'll talk fluffy bunnies together pass the tissues and you're in the wrong place because I'm just full of machismo I <sighs> love it. All right, so uh, what did I decide to do? Did I sign to stand by my postcard? Because you know, I you know, up front, I I knew it was uh, it was over the top. It was hard to look at. It was hard to see. What did I decide to do? I decided to stand behind it. Yeah, and I want to read to you my reasoning for this. Um, after listening to the controversy that was ignited after I posted my first concept postcard, which is the. Uh, Andersonville victim. I'm now convinced that it didn't go far enough. I didn't go far enough, guys. Despite its ugliness and its shock, I didn't go far enough. 
I know that statement will further upset some people and disappoint others. I'm not making this statement because of a warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. I didn't pray that God would give me a liver shiver. Instead, I looked to the scriptures and had to make a decision on principle. Starvation is one of the ugliest forms of human suffering. And um, starvation that is inflicted upon other human beings in POW or concentration camps is one of the worst manifestations of human evil imaginable. But I do not believe that physical starvation is the worst evil that one human can inflict upon another. Instead, I actually believe that spiritual starvation is. Physical starvation, despite its torturous cruelty, is only temporal. While spiritual starvation and the suffering and torment that accompanies it begins in this lifetime and lasts in eternity in hell. Therefore, using the photograph of a victim from Andersonville is not only appropriate, it gives us a physical glimpse and mental picture of a very, of a very real and evil spiritual reality. In the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries, those who've run starvation camps have faced war crime charges and have received their due penalty for their crimes. But that is nothing compared to the penalty that awaits pastors who starve Christ's sheep. I want to make myself perfectly clear on this point. I believe that pastors who refuse to preach God's word and refuse to feed the sheep that are entrusted to their care as the scripture commands them to. Those pastors are more evil than any Nazi who ever ran a concentration camp. Nazis could only kill a person's body. But rebellious apostate pastors keep people in the bondage of their sins and therefore are literally sending them to hell. Now, I'm not interested in striking a deal with any of those pastors or playing nice-nice with them. Instead, I see them as agents of the devil. And, therefore, I will warn the church and continue to warn the church about them and their particular brand of evil while calling these apostate pastors to repentance. The scripture warns us about such pastors and teachers, by the way. It describes them in great detail and warns what their end will be. Let me read to you from the epistle of Jude, starting at verse 11. Woe to them. Talking about false teachers. For they walk in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. They are shepherds who feed only themselves. They are waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for ever. I think the scripture is a little bit more blunt than I am. So here's the deal. Unless show, someone can show me from scripture where I am in error. For comparing a pastor who refuses to preach God's word to somebody who is inflicting starvation upon a, another human being. Like what we see in a concentration camp or a POW camp then I will not repent. If you're going to tell me I've done something wrong, then bring your texts. Because I stand on the scriptures. Bring your texts. Show me from God's word that what I did was wrong. Don't sit there and give me your gushy opinions. I'm not interested in your opinions. God's word is supreme. And if it contradicts your opinion, then so be it. And if you don't like it, then tough. Go get your big boy pants. and Grow up. Now, I know that sounds harsh, and I know that sounds unloving, and I know that sounds mean, but you know what? I'm not saying these things because I'm unloving. I'm saying these things because I actually love those pastors who are wrong. 
I love him enough to tell him the truth and say that is not what God's word says. Repent. I don't want you to go to hell. Not only that, I love the people who are in these churches who have put their trust in their pastor, thinking that somehow going to church that they're being fed God's word and and are actually being starved to death because their pastor refuses to teach them God's word. I feel for those people. You know, there's studies that have actually shown that the average amount of time that a family stays in a seeker-sensitive church is a little less than three years. And the number one reason people give when they leave such a church is because they feel like they're starving to death. And you know what? They are. I mean, let me give you another example that's going to just sound really gross. Have you ever seen a six-year-old kid nursing on his mom's breast? I think a six-year-old kid's ready for solid food, don't you? These churches are basically giving you at best, and I do mean at best, this is the best construction, they are giving you spiritual breast milk. And you cannot live on that. Your body's ready for some solid food a lot quicker than when you're six years old. It is a gross distortion to think that you can somehow live on newbie stuff. Spiritual breast milk. I'm sorry, but I've long outgrown spiritual breast milk. Give me meat. And you know what the scripture says the meat is? It's the gospel, not the law. The law was our tutor to lead us when we were children to the gospel. Read Galatians 2 and 3. The gospel is the meat. The gospel is the solid food. Not this life principle garbage, not these relevant stuff to make your life better that's not even sound doctrine I think I should put some verses in here Um, it would help us out (sighs) preach the word here we go Roseboro getting on his uh, soapbox watch out Bible verse alert we don't do that anymore give me something practical that I can apply to my life right Paul, writing to to Pastor Timothy, speaking from his apostolic office to a young pastor, has this to say, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Ripping a couple of verses out of context in order to proof text your pop psychology theories. That doesn't count as preaching the word. Doesn't even count at all. Preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Because a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's a myth that the Bible is a handbook that's supposed to teach you how to to achieve success in the American suburban life. The purpose of the Bible is not to help you be a healthy capitalist. Christ doesn't say... I promise you the an abundant life. Those who use John 10.10 10 that way are ripping it out of context, and the Bible does not teach that. Christ says, come follow me and die. I'm sorry, but the current liturgy of the seeker-sensitive movement and the steady diet of pop psychology, self-help, life principles, life applications does not qualify as sound doctrine. In fact, it's mythology. It's a, it's a ripping of, out of context of God's word. And it's a form of deception. And it spiritually starves people to death. And you know what? People around the church and around the world have basically said, enough. I'm out of here. 
I don't need this stuff. I can get it for free on Oprah. I don't need to go to a church and tithe to be fed spiritual breast milk. Pastors need to be preaching the word. Serious. That's what it is. So Roseboro has thrown the gauntlet down and basically said, I'm standing by what I said. And if you have something to say to me, then marshal your texts. Show me from God's word, because that's the only thing I'm going to listen to on this one. You show me where it says that a pastor has the freedom to go about teaching whatever willy-nilly thing he wants to do. You show me from scripture where one example where we're supposed to take a survey of people who are unbelievers and then give them what they want. And if you haven't got your texts, then you're in the wrong and you need to repent. And if I sound upset about it, I am. I am not playing nice-nice anymore because what is at stake are people's souls. I can't imagine what it would be like for a seeker-sensitive pastor to have to stand before the Lord and give an accounting and face the people who went to hell in in their congregation who attended there for years and never heard the gospel, never heard the truth, never heard God's word, and starved to death and went to hell. The blood of these people who are going to hell is on their hands. Enough is enough. Anyway, Roseboro needs to... I will now be stepping down from the soapbox. (laughs) As we segue into something else. Because I think I'm going to blow a gasket at this point. But uh, I think I've made my point. I'm standing by what I said. And if you have a problem with it, bring your texts. Because I've got the texts that show me that the job of a pastor is to preach the word. And any pastor who's under the stupid pretext says that it's selfish of you to expect to come to church and be fed. That person is a liar and an agent of the devil and is sending people to hell. Period. I don't care how orthodox their doctrinal statement is on their church, on their church's website. And that's not my opinion. I think that's the opinion of the scriptures. Anyway, there you go. Chris just lit himself on fire. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I went into the parking lot, grabbed some gasoline, and put myself on fire. Anyway, with that, we're going to segue into, uh, we're going to end the day with a little bit of Paula White. Promise you guys we would show, you know, play a little bit more from what she's saying about this Day of Atonement blasphemy that she's kicking around, the scam for 2008. I told you, uh, Rabbi Messner, you had to hear some of the stuff that he had to say. Well, we're going we're gonna to continue with that. So without any further ado, here's Paula White on the Day of Atonement for 2008. And you got to hear what Rabbi Messner has to say we need to do. This is crazy stuff. Getting the picture, and I agree with you. While much of the time in our Christian faith, the New Testament believers, yes. people would say, we have made the emblem of Christianity the cross. And why that is very significant, yes. the true emblem of Christianity to me is the mercy seat. Exactly. It is that he took his blood according to Hebrews and placed it on that once and for all. Yes. And so if we don't understand God's way of doing things, Exodus chapter 12 says that the yes. Day of Atonement is an eternal ordinance. Yes. And so this feast in the Hebrew, and you can bring correction to yeah, me no, anytime, no means uh, divine appointment. Yes. It's God's appointment, like a Kairos moment, that God said, this is my appointment. And Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, really is redemption. That's right. It, it's the time of where we are uh, understand and honor God for what he has done for us. And then I believe the significance also in the natural of spiritual where we are in the big picture of God. That we're in the most exciting days of church history. That that trumpet, I mean, Gabriel really is licking his lips, you know, is blowing and God's gathering because I do believe we are going to see the greatest in gathering and harvest and that's where Joel prophesies that latter and former rain coming together. It's it's a rehearsal. It really is. It's a rehearsal. In Malachi 4, the prophecy was verses 4 through 6. You would find yourself returning to the law of Moses or the Torah. Yes. This is the Torah. Yes. Um, We're we're supposed to return to the law of Moses? Ah, who needs the gospel? Um, And because of that, we would be evident that the spirit of Elijah came upon you. The spirit of the last days. 
because in the hearts or the anointing on the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to come upon the sons, you and I, yes. and the sons of the fathers before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we are fulfilling prophecy because now what it got, God had to reposition our heart. That it went. Oh, we're, they're fulfilling prophecy by renewing our interest in the day of atonement. Okay. Time we looked at Yom Kippur as something that's out there, but now we've come in because Yom Kippur. See, at Passover we had the blood upon the doorposts of the house, right? Mm -hmm. The blood of Jesus. But why is it that you and I, when we go to a clinic, we'll have a uh, there's a checklist and it says, do you have sugar diabetes in your bloodline? Do you have asthma? Do you have all these things called diseases of the spirit? Right. Be diseases of the spirit. I did not know that sugar diabetes was a disease of the spirit. I bet there's spiritual applications that I can do to get rid of it. Because God made a way in the Torah, one of the commands of the Torah, that when you confess something out of your mouth, even even medical people tell you actually release toxins and free radicals out of your body when you actually do that. Huh? When you confess something, it, re it releases toxins and free radicals? Okay. It actually, the confession removes the guilt, which stops the chemical that goes into your body, which fights off your immune system, and which absolutely causes you to take on diseases of the spirit, sugar diabetes, asthma, etc., due to what is called bitter root judgments. Yes. So God made a way that the Christian today could remove bitter root judgments from their life, even though they're already saved, because you and I are not doing this to get saved. We know it's already done at Calvary, but we're doing this because we are already redeemed people walking out a redemptive lifestyle. It's to receive <laughs> the abundant life. Exactly. I mean, here, here it is. That God, I've always said, it never made sense to me. You know, I'm not the smartest, but... <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm not the dumbest either. Uh, that's what you think. And it didn't make sense that if God just uh, sent his son Jesus to yes. die for us to get to heaven, then the day we got saved, why not die? Yes. I mean, if that was the plan, he can't... Yeah, that's Rick Warren's argument. Well, if the day we got saved, why don't we just go to heaven or die? You know, this... Here's the thing that I think is, a, is ridiculous. The more I do the show, the thing that amazes me is that all of these false teachers have the same thing in common. It's a misunderstanding and misapplication of the law. They go to the same verses, abundant life... Uh, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, la, 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 la. And they, it's it's just different spins on the same emphasis. The emphasis on the law, your law keeping, and the good things that you do. And somehow, if you just figure out the right principles and you apply them property, property, properly in your life, it unlocks things and, and things are supposed to fall into place for you. Uh, you know, financially you know, uh, relationships-wise and all that kind of, you know, it's the abundant life. ...to bring change in you and change through you that I believe a visible world would see an invisible God yes. and that John 10.10 says that we would live the abundant life that... Ah, there it is. I'm a prophet. Jesus came yes. and died to give us. Exactly. And so to me, atonement, Yom Kippur, is much about that abundant life. Yes. It is receiving the full provision of what God has done for exactly. us. Exactly. At Calvary, let me, uh, let's go back for a second to Egypt. The God from Egypt, Yahweh, yudhav Yahweh brought uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt, redeemed. Then he took a redeemed people like you and I, already mm -hmm. saved, to Mount Sinai to love on them. And what did he give them at he took him to Mount Sinai to love on them. Has he read Exodus twenty? <laughs> oh, don't, don't, God, don't love on us. You love on Moses. We don't have anything to do with you. <laughs> Mount Sinai, the teaching and instruction of God, yes. the habits of God. So why you and I are doing this and finding ourselves doing this is because at one time our ancestors did this, yes. and it was prophesied at the ends of the earth that in the ends of the earth. And Isaiah, that the Lord Himself would teach you and I in the ends of the earth, and then eventually take some of us back to the physical end of Israel. You know, and you said something very important, and I know many people have an ear to understand this. You mentioned Moses and Elijah. Yeah. I believe the season, the set time that we're living in, there's a Moses company and an Elijah company. Exactly. And they're being. Oh, there's a Moses company and an Elijah company. Are they like, you know, uh, uh, an acting troupe? Moses Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're like you know those you know st street magicians or street performers. The Moses group. 
raised up and there are people that have an ear and understand that that the mantle which in the hebrew you know elijah was taken up you say what's god doing in the earth and you'll come this is another one of those times when words are coming out of her mouth that this woman is making no sense come back and teach the significance of this day of atonement he was taken up by a whirlwind that means spiritual agitation some people just see the chaos but things that must be shaken have to be shaken so that which is eternal will remain so there was a son that could see the mantle and it's a feminine form and it means womb of love literally increase god is spreading his womb of love upon a people oh i don't want god touching me with his womb of love is that papa what is she talking about? That are sons that will be able to keep their eyes on the master, receive the increase of God. He's increasing himself in you to increase three, through you because he's got something significant. A Moses company and an Elijah company are going to have a Mount Transfiguration. <laughs> <laughs> and they are- Woohoo! I have no idea what she said. No, no clue whatsoever. And I believe if we understand God's way of doing yes. things, then it is easy to flow with the plan of God and to participate with understanding. And that's part of the promise yes. of, of when we honor God, yes. then part of the promise, Joel says, is revelation. We're going to come back and Rabbi's going to teach you the significance through the eyes of God of the Day of Atonement. We'll be right back. Amen. All right, let's, let's hear the, the plug for her product. Paula and Rabbi Ralph Messer will return from the Holy Land experience in Orlando, Florida, as they continue to reveal God's eternal plan. I wouldn't that really be the unholy land experience? For mankind patterned in the Ark of the Covenant and in honoring him on the Day of Atonement. In appreciation for your best atonement offering unto God of any size, we would... Oh, man. Your best atonement offering of any size. I'm sending mine in. It's a picture of a ram, two male goats, and a bull, because that's what Leviticus 16 tells us. I'd like to send you Paula White's new in-depth teaching series on the mercy of God titled Once for All, as well as Rabbi Ralph Messer's insightful three-DVD series Waiting for the King, a believer's guide to the Day of Atonement. For your atonement offering of $70 or more, you'll also receive this beautifully crafted miniature Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, I haven't received my miniature gift of the Ark of the Covenant, because that's the new emblem of Christianity. Yeah, if you touch it, you die. Reminder. Haven't you seen like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark? You don't take the lid off. That's a bad thing. It'll, you know, God will suck your face off. God's covenant with you. The Day of Atonement is October 9th. Include your prayer request for Pastor Paula when you write or email. Dear Paula, here's my prayer request. My prayer request is that God would open your eyes and cause you to repent. Today. Ah, man. So... <laughs> This next section is crazy talk. You got to hear this. This is wild. And I am so privileged to have you with Amen. us, Rabbi. I left off talking about that Elijah and Moses company. And yes. really, what does that mean, the significance? Well, it was going to be two witnesses, a picture of the two cherubim that were actually on the Ark of the Covenant. And the, those witnesses, the Torah teachers, such as myself, the house of Judah, yes. would meet you, the house of Israel, which would be the spirit of Elijah. It would be Elijah and Moses, like in Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. Literally, when we would both come together supernaturally. They're saying biblical stuff, but I have no idea how these things are related and connected what this guy is saying doesn't make any sense with uh, the spirit of god in both of us yes why is it that people send them their money is it just because they use polysyllabic biblical terms and so the spirit of elijah on the mount of transfiguration was talking about the fish in jonah and and what that really means is that the tablets from moses on mount sinai as they relate to beelzebub and and the spirit of uh, of Beelzebub versus Ashtoreth, and and what we really understand here is that is that from that Ahab, that Ahab spirit, that that this is just classic gobbledygook. Yeah, it makes them feel. Yeah, you're right. It makes people feel like good. You know, wow, I heard spiritual words. I heard biblical words. But I, you know, it's just a string of biblical words strung together in some random fashion, and it's not hard to to mimic it. It would create an arc between both of us, like the electricity. Okay, here it comes. This is the best part. i got to back this up because he's now going to talk about the arc of electricity between them. Yeah. 
Apparently, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, here we go. Teachers such as myself, the house of Judah, yes. would meet you, the house of Israel, which would be the spirit of Elijah. It would be Elijah and Moses, like in Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. Literally, when we would both come together supernaturally with uh, the spirit of God in both of us, yes. we, it would create an arc between both of us, like the electricity we're talking about right now. In the spirit realm, if we could see in the spirit realm around us. Oh, see, if we can see in the spirit realm around us. Is that's my problem. Is there some kind of like special sunglasses you can get so that you can see the spiritual realm? Yeah. We would actually see that when you and I are midrashing with each other, mm-hmm. we are actually seeing something that. Oh, don't you midrash with her on public television like that? That's obscene. I think it's really significant. If I may, yes. I'm going to describe a few things. If uh, those who are. Oh, this is disgusting. They're midrashing. Um, our Pentecost- yeah, see, a midrash is like the one, the rash you get in the middle of your <laughs> belly, and then you got you got the low rash, and you got the top rash. My eyes burn. Awesome. We'll really enjoy this side of it. There's three words, if I could have them write down. One of them is, and I'll make it real simple, it is the word capacitor. Mm-hmm. And the, word cap- the word capacitor does not appear anywhere in the Bible. The flux capacitor? Yeah, the flux capacitor. <laughs> that's, you know, that's Doc Brown made the flux capacitor after he fell off of his toilet, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the picture they have here, they actually have little LED lights that are making things talking about capacitors. Capacitor means to receive energy and store it for a discharge to what is called an inductor. Now, bear with me. Right. Inductor. And then await receiving energy again from an outside source. So what happens is, is that our bodies, even though they're miniature capacitors like ossuaries, they're capacitors. What? what? An ossuary is a bone box. Is that what they're talking about? Maybe they're admitting they're whitewashed ossuaries. Capacitors, like battery, like a battery. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is that we store energy and store energy and store energy. And then the second one we have is what is called an inductor. I-N-D-U-C-T-O-R. Can you give me a chapter and a verse on this Rabbi Messner? which is a part of an electrical, electrical apparatus, if I may, yes. um, that acts upon another or itself acted upon in induction. So in other words, when I hear your voice and you and I go back and forth, when I get excited about what you say and I listen to it and I hear to it, then all of a sudden I listen, I listen, listen, and finally there's just so much in me I can't take anymore. My capacitor has to be released. Yeah. Then what you do is when you'll say... Yeah, I, this is... Huh word that I'll hear or whatever and that will release something in me or I'll say something or release something and that's called the inductor so you're actually flowing back and forth in the Holy Spirit then the last one we have is what is called and something you teach on called the conductor spelled C-O-N-D-U-C-T-O-R if I may it's a material or object that permits an electrical current what are they talking about where is this in the Bible at all? And why would anyone be stupid enough to send them money after hearing this? Or flow easily. Uh, it's a, a material capable of transmitting another form of energy, of, of heat, or etc. So, long story short, basically our bodies are capacitors. Yeah. Uh, when I say something to you that sets you off, it's an inductor. In other words, you say, I can't take it anymore, Rabbi. I've just got you to You feel say, like you're going to explode. I, I'm going to explode. Yeah. <laughs> That's the inductor. And what happens is that capacitor builds, 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 and all of a sudden you release it. That's the inductor. And then we have... Chapter and verse, please. This is absolute insanity. A conductor, and a conductor is a, a constant flow that goes on. You call it flowing in the spirit. Right. When we describe this, the reason why we didn't really know how to describe it, Pentecostal people, Acts 2.38, etc., we used to pray in the spirit. When you pray in the spirit, you move your tongue up and down. Mm-hmm. It actually could, could, uh, creates electrical charge within your body right. for your capacitor. And then- so if while you're praying in the spirit, you're creating this electrical charge within the spirit, can you sneak up on somebody and, like, shock them? Yeah, it'd be, like, static, you know? In the spirit. Yeah, it's static in the spirit, you know? That, that could really mess with them, you know? And you, oh, man, I was just getting all charged up, and you discharged it. You know? And, and here's my question is, is that, then you got this, all this electrical talk, then you have issues about grounding, you know, because, you know, you, you have to make sure, you know, you're properly grounded, otherwise... And they're not. 
and they're not. And so do they have, while they're praying in the spirit, do they need to wear rubber galoshes? You know, so they don't improperly discharge. No, this is, re- I don't even know where they get any of this. Where did, what does this have to do with the day of atonement? And eventually there's so much in you, you've got to let it go. And that's called the inductor. And it's usually because you- she's all sitting there going, wow, this is deep. This is so deep. It's unfathomable. You will lay hands on someone, and when you lay hands on something, and you actually lay hands on their forehead, you are actually releasing from your capacitor through a current flow into that person, which contains electrical and negative field. So they receive from you, right? And if, they, but they have to have a right attitude about you. That's the key. Oh, they have to have a right attitude about you. <sighs> if they have a right attitude, right there mentally, that they say, "Okay, I can receive from this person," the flow of energy will go. And guess what? When you lay hands on someone, that capacitor, that energy attacks any immune system deficiencies right. and etc. Creates a charge within your body, attacks cancer and etc. And guess what? If you receive, I feel myself getting stupider by the second listening to this. My IQ just dropped six points. The current flow goes right back through my hand into me, and there's actually a flow back and forth. It's amazing. (laughs) Help, I've fallen. I can't get up. Simple math, difficult. How do I stop? Thinking about so many things right here. Again, it's, it's there it goes. That's what happens. And I, as I think about that, I mean, we know in traditional yes. uh, church and said we we understand the laying on of hands. We understand impartation. Yes. We understand exactly what you're just saying. But you have just brought into pure perspective the plan of God. Yes. And he- how? How did he bring into clear perspective the plan of God? He just made up words, talked about them. Inductor, conductor, semiconductor, in, and and just went on for five minutes. There wasn't a single passage of scripture quoted, and this is supposed to reveal the clear plan plan of God. I'm I really am doing the wrong thing. I got to just go and start my own doctrines and just start selling this kind of stuff. I gotta, you know, forget it. I'm done doing the discernment thing. It doesn't make any money. I have to pay to do this. You know, I want to make money like Paula, and all she does is say gobbledygook and and boo, and people send in money. This is ridiculous. Anyway. (laughs) What would happen to them if they were driving on the freeway while praying? Yeah, I I see that's... Is it safe to, you know, pray in the spirit while driving? I mean, could it have an impact on your electrical system? You know, what, you know, yeah, if you go 88 miles an hour with a capacitor, you know, because when you hit 88 miles an hour and you have a capacitor thing going, you could actually make an accidental jump into a different time period, you know. It, but I think you have to be driving a DeLorean for that to happen. <sighs> Man. Yeah, I wish I was just making that up, but that's the stuff that's on Paula White's show. For the Day of Atonement, capacitors and things. Oh, man. I got to go back and yell at the slaves at the bottom of the ship and tell them to row faster. Aye, aye, sir. Aye, aye, sir. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Anyway, we're at the end of our program today. Thanks for staying tuned, even though I don't have my voice properly. And, uh, you know, and if you would like to email me and uh, let me know about your capacitor and how you midrash with people... Um, I hope it makes it through my spam filter because all pornographic talk like that, I think my spam filter picks it up, dumps it. (sighs) Anyway, till next week, may God bless you. And uh, next week we'll uh, give you an example of a great sermon so that you know uh, not just the bad stuff but the good stuff as well. Until next time, God bless you.